Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, the NBA draft is over, and you want to talk hats. <laughs> well, it relates. <laughs> well, That's a good lead-in, right? <laughs> actually, I was, I was watching ESPN, and it just kicked me out of the Michigan baseball So game. that's why you made the face that you did Yeah, that's the face that I'm making, right. Yeah, so back, back to the hats. We've discussed this with players before uh, when we've interviewed some of the Sixers is is that they make them put on the hat of the team that supposedly drafted them, even though all of us outside of the room know that they have been traded. How stupid this bo- is it? This bothers you. It, it's it's it dumb. Bothers, it bothers you. Why, why do they have to pretend to, why can't they enjoy the so, moment so the as league, opposed to pretending to enjoy the moment? I mean, they had a guy put on a Lakers hat, even though the Lakers had no draft picks last night. So the future of the league changed. Yeah. The Pelicans have a ton of picks now. Atlanta did well. We're going to have Keith Pompey on at the, start of, at the bottom of the hour to help us figure out what exactly the Sixers did. And to fix the hack. The and you're talking That's hats. right. Okay. I'm glad that we could get that. Well, then why don't we just go to soccer? We could do that. Okay. Um, we were down in Chester the other day. Had a sit down with uh, Coach Jim Curtin. A fun time, right, Jeff? Uh, I I think he's a great guy, but more importantly, we learned so much from from that. And I dare anybody to listen to this interview and say they didn't learn anything. I, I am surprised that you didn't ask him to put me in goal so they could take shots. Normal, oh, normally, normally, you are good for some. Like we were in Reading the other night, and Jeff again was making the pitch to try and get me to throw out the first pitch, not because he thinks I'm going to do a good job and wants the show to succeed and get more recognition, but because he wants to see me spike the ball and be embarrassed. Wait, that that will get the show more recognition. By spiking the ball Correct. and getting embarrassed? Yes. Why? The station didn't get any more recognition when Lennox spiked the ball? That's because it's Lennox. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you wanted Connor Johnson why, to have me Why work did out. you not tell me that when you were there? Intentionally. Oh. There's a, there's a good There reason. will be a part two. All right. We will have to go back and talk to Coach Curtin and put you in goal. Okay. We'll, yeah. we'll work on that. We'll put you in, you know, that big uniform you put on when you teach the attack dog to attack someone. <laughs> we'll put you in that giant <laughs> uniform or one of those sumo wrestling. Let's suits. go to the interview with Coach Curtin and we'll come back. We are here in Chester with Union Coach Jim Curtin. How are you doing today? Doing good. Feeling good. Just uh, fin- finished some practice with the guys. A little humid out there, but uh, how's everything going on the little break that you guys have? Doesn't look like you're taking a rest. Yeah, we're pushing the guys hard. Uh, it's a good week to build uh, fitness, you know, to, to keep guys at the level that they're at right now. Obviously, we're in a good spot in the league, and the team is very confident being in first place. I, I think that helps, but uh, yeah, you don't want to take your foot off the gas. Uh, we want to uh, push some guys that are coming back of, back from injury uh so we've tried to you know as much as we can replicate uh game-like situations this week work on some of the things we can still improve on with our defensive shape and pressure so um also giving the guys enough time to recover and and, and again it has been a hot week but we've pushed them uh very hard you know and each of our guys for those maybe aren't aware you know they wear a gps unit every training session so we know exactly how far they run how much they're sprinting uh and the data is coming back that they've worked very hard this week and and built some good fitness How does that data factor in in terms of your planning as a coach and your staff? It's huge. Uh, You know, the game is becoming more and more uh, data driven. Um, We're not quite at the uh, the level.
level and the analytics of, of a baseball, so to speak. But um, they're, they're finding more and more solutions to, to break down uh, soccer. You know, it's still, uh, I think we're one of the more progressive clubs and, and, and open to analytics. And, and uh, uh, it's still a free, free-flowing sport, though. So they're still trying to master all the, the, the stats and the data that, that, that find the, uh, uh, that give us the best information. Um, it's not like, you know, football, for example, or baseball, where it's, you know, one-on-one, this is a play, you know, we can break down percentages, um, where soccer is kind of more 90 minutes free-flowing. But the data that we get uh, really helps us. Uh, we have a, a bunch of criteria that we look at when we're not only tracking our own players, but also for scouting, uh, for for when we look at our academy players, are they able to, to hit some of the metrics that, you know, our first-team player hits? So it's, it's a great tool, um, you know, and, and it, obviously you still trust your eyes a lot, you know, when, when you're scouting, but I think a lot of the analytics and the way the game is going now, um, you have to be open to it. And, uh, the old school coaches that are close-minded to it are kind of falling by the wayside and, and you're losing advantages. When it comes to the analytics of a game and yeah. you talk about the GPS, uh-huh. I assume they don't wear the GPS during the actual game. We actually do. We, we force our players now to wear it in the game. So I can actually down to every five, minute, it, five minutes it reloads and I know exactly uh, where guys are at uh, in terms of their fitness. So it helps in substitutions. You know, when guys are really fatiguing, their heart, where their heart rate's at, uh, how many sprints they've done. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's so, it's, so it's almost like pitch counts in baseball. Exactly. You, you can now measure exactly how far somebody's run during the course of the game. That's correct. And, and we know, uh, you know, an example would be our, our, our defensive midfielder, Ali Bedoya, who's our captain. Uh, he runs roughly anywhere between eight and a half to 10 miles a game uh, at, a, at a very high speed, too. So uh, it's these are these are top athletes. So, again, uh, as you get into the 80th minute and you're, you have maybe a question in your mind about making a sub, do I pull the trigger now? Do I wait? Um, that data, you know, helps us in, in those those real real time decisions uh, that we're making. So if they were wearing like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, they would just blow the thing up. It's essentially the same thing. It's <laughs> it's crazy, you know, it, and it's literally a little device that goes on. They almost wear like a uh, looks like a sports bra, so it's not very uh, it's it's not restricting to them, and it's a little data chip that gets put in their back, and we get live updates on an iPad on the sideline. So um, it's yeah, the data helps in, in all these little advantages that you're looking for on the field. So even though you had the the week off yeah. per se, not having a game. We saw that, that in the practice. They uh-huh. were competing pretty hard on, yeah. on a much smaller field. Uh-huh. Uh, how do how do you keep the guys in game shape and, and mentality wise? Keep them in game. Yeah, shape? that's a that's a coach's challenge. Uh, you know, as you, we've worked very hard to get where we are in the table right now in first place. Um, but we also recognize if you take your foot off the gas, you know, you can come back to reality very fast. Uh, all the other teams are, are pushing to try to improve now uh, as well. Um, you have little ways to to replicate uh, game like situations. Uh, you have them compete uh, for things as, as little as uh, a little trophy in a cup that we have, uh, and we'll have a little round robin tournament to get them uh, playing in smaller numbers, maybe teams of five or six, uh, but competing with something on the line. And, and you'd be amazed how much even professional athletes want to win that trophy at the end of the day. So it's a, a real competitive, healthy environment that we have with our guys. Um, I've, I've 
used different tactics in a in a, in a bye weekend uh, in the past where we'll actually have them uh, put on the uniforms and we'll play uh, in the stadium and we'll play 10 versus 10 uh, and one team will be in our blue uniform one will be in the white so it has the feel of a game day all these little things uh, the professional athletes are creatures of habit and, and I think that they uh, when they get in a rhythm they want to stay in that rhythm so uh, doing what you can it's nice to have a little break but at the same time you want to keep them going uh, any way possible your, your players are professionals but yeah. but you've you've made your way up you actually sure. coached the Bethlehem Steel beforehand yeah. do you use any of the motivational tactics that you learned as a younger coach on, on these guys for sure I think he even rewinded even more uh, to when I was a player I, I learned in my in my second year of, of playing professional professionally in Chicago uh, I had a coach that had created an environment where all the players kind of thought like coaches already uh, and there's there's now I think 15 to 18 of us that are head or assistant coaches or general managers or in some capacity in the league um, so we all thought like coaches even as players um, I retired at a pretty young age at 30 uh, in hindsight now that was a good thing for me because it got me started coaching uh, I'd encourage young coaches to coach all ages to coach girls to coach boys uh, because you learn so much from from kids they, they soak things up quicker than the professionals do by the time I get them they're kind of fully baked <laughs> but to work with you know five six year olds uh, and, and boys and girls and see how they learn differently you can take more risks with them you can try different things uh, it was an incredible thing for me to coach in our youth academy you know work my way up through the steps be, be an assistant coach uh, and now uh, to be the head coach and, and you know be going into my fifth season of doing it it sounds surreal you know being from the city of Philadelphia it's been a special uh, journey but one that I don't take for granted and I, I try to learn every day you mentioned the youth academy yeah uh, one of the first guys we had on this season was Brendan Aarons yeah special and uh, he's been exciting to yeah. watch can you talk about his development overall what you've seen uh-huh. this year from him so Brendan's an example of um, you know a kid that obviously you saw the natural talent when he was when he was young and, and uh, had him nine years old in our youth academy and he could do special things with the ball um, physically he's not the most uh, you know imposing figure you know he's not a guy who's 6'4 and has a ton of muscles and it, uh, that's the great thing and unique thing about this game uh, the game of soccer size doesn't really matter you, you have um, different types of players that hit their development and their stride at, at different times and, and Brendan went through uh, some really high highs in his, his pathway and, and some low lows where he was getting thrown off the ball but that was a good thing for him he learned from that uh, and, and his soccer brain his soccer IQ I like to say uh, is at a level for an 18 year old that is something I'd probably never reached as a professional so he's he sees the game uh, in the future which sounds weird to people when I say that but he sees two and three passes ahead because he has to if he gets in you know physical battles with guys he's going to lose those and I tell him that to his face you know if you're if you're going to bang with uh, some of these center backs in MLS that are six four you know 200 pounds uh, you're going to come out on the wrong end so you have to find ways to uh, use your body uh, he angles his his hips and he, he thinks th- things uh, so far in advance that uh, he's a really special fun player to watch but he had uh, obviously starts with the parents he had good parents uh, that, that supported him in the game he had some really good coaches along the way that all contributed to his development uh, and, and the 
the future's really bright for him. He could play in any league in the world. I really believe that. He's a special kid and, and a real great example of our, our youth academy and our belief in young players. Obviously, his skill set and talent are unique, yeah. but is, is he an outlier, or can Union fans expect more young yeah. players coming up, first-year players coming in to sort of infuse that next generation of the yeah, Union? Well, he has a younger brother, Paxton, who's, who's also pretty darn good, so yeah, they can expect more, um, and that's the goal moving forward. Uh, that's obviously a good good gene pool that they're they're working with there as, as, as a family, but um, there's... There's so much talent in this country, and again, I don't want to get into too long of a discussion or too because it's such a we could talk for hours on it. But there is talent in the United States, uh, you know, and, and there are great players. Um, it hasn't translated fully yet to our national team, and 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 you know the ultimate goal of winning a World Cup. But I think over time, uh, as these young players develop and grow, uh, the Brendan Aronsons, the Austin Trustees in the Philadelphia area, uh, there's special players here. There really is, is is talent here. There always has been, uh, and I, I think you're starting to see now uh, us take a next step as a club for sure uh, in the belief in our young players. And, and now I think it'll go, it'll translate to the to the national team. We've had you know five or six young players now that are playing with the uh, the youth national teams and, and doing well there too. So yeah, Philly's a hotbed. You know this area, Delaware, Philly, Jersey. You could just recruit here and make a, a heck of an MLS team. Uh, and I believe that, and, and I believe in this area and, and the players that are here. Are you starting to see that two decades ago, back when mm-hmm. I, I grew up on the Cosmos. Okay, yeah, great. And, and back then they said soccer was going to take off nationally. I know, and, I know. and it didn't. I know. But it seems to be, at least from the outside, seems to actually now be taking off. Are you starting to see that? For sure. There's a there's more of a permanence to it and, and a lot of the uh, the older people that were involved in the game that I speak to um, it was special back then too. I don't want to take anything away from it because there was 60,000, 70,000 people at these games and it was outrageous. Was on yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and maybe uh, it went too fast. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think it, it accelerated too fast and the salaries got bigger and then it kind of fizzled out. Um, whereas now there's more permanence with the, the soccer-specific stadiums was a huge, huge step. So now uh, all these clubs in our league have a home. Uh, that's theirs, uh, which is powerful. Uh, you see the investors that are investing in it now. It, it's not it's not, not uh, millionaires. It's, it's, it's guys that uh, are involved in you know huge corporations, uh, huge professional franchises like the Yankees or the the Seattle Seahawks, and and uh, it's here to stay. There has more a more permanent feel to it. Even when I was playing in the league, there was a moment in 2000, my second year in the league in 2002, where they retracted to 10 teams. There was only 10 MLS teams, and, and Phil Anschutz literally kept the the whole league uh, operating when it could have been over you know there was talks literally like the guys you might want to start looking for work this whole league might fold so uh in that short time that was 20 years ago which sounds long but it's really not you know um it's changed so drastically and, and there's such more of a, a permanent feel to it. Uh, certainly the players can be compensated more, but that's increased and it's getting stronger. Uh, the investments that's coming in, I, I, I have to say, I, I did not think it would grow this much in my lifetime, to be honest, to see soccer now. Three three MLS games on TV. You have the English League, German League on, on uh, TV. You can wake up in the morning and it's it's just nonstop soccer. I never thought it would even get to that level. Uh, uh, and there's ambitious people in MLS right now that want to make make this the league of choice for for european players too to come here and play so uh 
I'd bet on soccer. If it was a stock, it would be one that I'd, I'd really buy into now, and I think it has more permanence than uh, um, the Cosmo days, even though those were special times, too. Yeah, but, I mean, th- think about the time when you were with the fire uh-huh. and the facilities that you have, and we just did a tour of, of your facility oh, cool. here, and and it's it's amazing. It compares. It might even be better than the Sixers facility. It's really nice. They did a great job with our building. Uh, I'm very grateful to ownership to have an environment uh, that players want to come to that we can use as a scouting tool. Um, even the European players that come here, uh, that everyone has this image in their head that because it's Europe, everything is like Manchester United and Barcelona. And that's not the case. There's a lot of um, history, obviously, in Europe, but there's a lot of older, dilapidated stadiums and and, and not the facilities like, like we have uh, in, in, and we're fortunate enough to have here in Chester. So, uh, yeah, that, that part is... Uh, has grown and improved greatly. Um, we were lucky in Chicago. We actually used the old Chicago Bears facility, so we basically piggybacked off them. But your your point is very valid in that uh, for us to have a place like this to call our own, that's ours, you know, is something that's really special. What's that like to play at Soldier Field, the history? Soldier there? Field had some history. You know, when you, when you walked out, I'm um, an NFL fan as well, and you, you think of... You know the, the the players that have, have played in that stadium. Uh, it's pretty nostalgic. You know, it has a had an old feel to it. Right when I was there, they were doing that the remodel, and they almost felt like they just so dropped before the spaceship. it looks like yeah. the spaceship. <laughs> yeah, they dropped the spaceship <laughs> in the middle of it for sure. But it had some history. Uh, you think, uh, you know, Walter Payton and, and the, the Dick Buckus and the old Bears that used to come out of there and and, and play that stadium uh, had some real history and tradition. Um, I enjoyed playing there. It was really fun, uh, and it sounds like they're going to be moving back there now uh so possibly so uh, pretty cool thing you mentioned your sports fan you're you're a local guy you're, yeah you're from the area you've stayed in the area it seems like the the union team that you coach is in the mentality of philadelphia sports teams and philadelphia sports fans yeah. the toughness and the work ethic is that something that that you've seen growing up that you wanted to emulate or how did that come about for you for sure i, I throw in the, a little bit of the underdog too uh our, our players have really embraced you know the fact that you you know, we might not be the team that, um, you know, is the the sexy pick. You know, the, we're not the Yankees or the, you know, the, that type of team in our league. We are uh, a blue-collar team. I think we're emblematic of the city. I think we represent uh, what this city stands for, where, you know, you have to earn respect. It's not given to you. Uh, Philadelphia is very much that way. Uh, but once you get it uh, from the fans uh, and from the, you know, the, the players and, and the coaching staff, I think that uh, Philly's very loyal in that way. Uh, you know, you think of some of the players that uh, have 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 been uh, loved by the fans here, and then they're all the Brian Dawkins, the the Allen Iversons, uh, you know, those type of guys. Uh, so again, it's a, a special town for sure. Uh, one that, yeah, I, I do agree with you that our, our players are uh, representative of the city, and, and right now we have a good thing going, but we have to to keep it there. You mentioned the fans uh, during one of the games we went and sat out in the Sons of Ben a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, one that was entertaining. Yeah, the crazy. You should hear this. Great chance for Brendan yeah, uh, for when yeah. he is uh, not treated fairly out yeah. there. Um, wh- what's your take on being able to watch them each game and how into it they get and how supportive they yeah, are of the they're, team? They're the lifeblood uh, of the club. Uh, I think our fans are unique and special in that they uh, were the ones that were, were founding, the founding members of the club. They, they cheered for this team before it was even a team, which is a unique thing. So, um, you know, I did an event last night and they were out in full support uh, on a podcast and it was a, it was a great time. They're just... Uh 
we want the same things. We want to win. You know, we want to win together. But there is also a sense of community uh, and, and a welcoming uh, feel that they have. So uh, they're the same way with our players. They cheer us home, away, uh, win or lose. Uh, they're they're faithful and loyal to the end, which is is something that's special from a fan base to have. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you can speak with them, have a beer with them, and and they're uh, pretty down to earth, uh, a humble, normal group. You know, so I, I think that the connection that the players, uh, our staff has with the fans is a unique one. Maybe um, more open than than you'd see in the NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball, where we can kind of just work maybe more accessible and just I don't want to say normal guys, but you know, down to earth, pretty normal guys. We don't have a ton of egos in our in our group. So um, maybe as the game in soccer continues to grow, that might change. But it's a cool thing that I think our league has right now is that relationship with the fans. And obviously, the Sons of Ben are are uh, are amazing. You also have a, a, a diverse group of players uh, from sure. all all walks of life, all over the place. I saw a pool table upstairs. Yeah. Uh, what is? How do you get the guys to bond off the pitch? Yeah, so I think we have thirteen to fourteen countries represented here. Uh, I think you have. Uh, five or six different languages, you know, so you have a, a lot of barriers. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania does a great job with their English program, teaching our guys English and getting them up to speed very quick. Um, and yeah, I could use Il Sino and Fabinho as examples of two guys that came in. Uh, and, and when I say they spoke zero English, it was pretty much a, a zero. Um, and now they do uh, full interviews in, in, in English after games at press conferences. So uh, the players have to have that buy-in as well. But yeah, blending all these cultures together, um, the one thing that we all share and is unique is is, is the game of soccer and, and the game of soccer speaks one language you know once they get the ball in the field um, they all have that common bond and they know what to do with it offensively and defensively so um, but that part is a challenge you have a group of kids that on some days when we have academy kids here, I have an age range of 14 to, you know, 36 to a couple years wow. younger than me. So it's, it's uh, uh, I'll just say that they fight over what kind of music they're listening to in that locker room for sure. Uh, there's arguments over card games or pool or, or whatever competitive things that they, they come up with. And these are highly competitive pro athletes, uh, but at the same time, uh, keeping them all on the same page is a real challenge. And, and again, like you mentioned, from, from all over the world, uh, it's it's always easiest with the the first 11 guys, the guys, the 11 that are starting. Uh, coach's biggest challenge is number 12 through number 30, keeping them going every day uh, so that they're ready when they're called upon. Um, and that's uh, always the, the real challenge of a, a full season. In addition to being a coach, you're also a father. Yeah. And it's harder. And I, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, I, and I understand that, that, that your kids play soccer. Yeah. So do you coach them? So I did. I coached my daughter. Uh, I coached both. I coached my oldest daughter. I never coached Avery. The middle child always gets the shaft on that one. And then I've coached, I coach uh, T-ball and baseball with my, my son as well. So, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, – it's a different kind of coaching. <laughs> but, again, I still think you can learn in every environment and situation. But, um, you know, having three children and living in the city uh, and also coaching the team, it, it, it's busy, but it's a busy that I really enjoy. Uh, and, again, uh, kids are kind of almost part of the team now at this stage because we've been around, been around the, this club for a long time, and so they, either, they know all the guys. <laughs> are you the quiet father coach, or I don't say the... a word. I don't say a word, and I think it's a problem right now in youth sports. I think a lot of times parents 
um, kind of can kill the the love of the game, whatever sport it is, um, with just yelling at kids, yelling at umpires, whatever it might be. Uh, I think we need to step back and recognize they're they're all not going to be pro athletes, and, and that's okay, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. But I think what you learn from sport uh, is the the camaraderie, uh, the success, the failure. Um, I think those are good, healthy lessons for any kid, uh, whether it's an individual sport or a team sport. Uh, and I think you should. I think you should play multiple sports too. I think right now we're, we're we're making kids specialize at six and seven years old. It's like let them be kids, let them try other things and, and play different sports because uh, at the end of the day, it'll all it, it's all helpful and you learn different things from different sports. But right now, I, when when I have parents come up to me and say, "Should my kid be specializing in soccer?" and they'll point to the kid and I say, "He's four years old. He still believes in Santa Claus. Let's slow down. You know, it, it's it's going to be fine. Let him. It'll it'll sort itself out. And if he's if he's good enough uh, to play in high school to play in college to maybe even play professionally uh they usually get found out you know, over we, time so we don't talk rush with things. people <laughs> about that a lot about the impact that sports has on development yeah. and society and community and um for you how do you balance that for these guys uh you give back in the community they're out there doing things at the same time they're professional athletes you're trying to win you're about to start the second yeah. half how do you balance that with the team yeah that's that, that's great that's a great question it, it, it's something that I think organically happens. I think if you're involved in your community, uh, people recognize that you're part of a team, that you're part of something. Uh, and teams are the same way. You know, when I walk through my neighborhood now, um, people recognize me maybe because because I'm tall and I stand out a little <laughs> bit, whatever it might be. But um, it's gone to a level where, I, again, I never thought it would, would reach where um, you know, people in a coffee shop will come up and, and have real comments and soccer discussions about the game and what they saw. Uh, so they feel part of it they might come out to a game i see little kids now walking around the neighborhood all the time in not just union uniforms but you know real madrid or, or barcelona or whatever national team so philly's great that way it's it's a very diverse city and it, it, it kind of is similar to the group i have in that locker room. you know uh, people are from all different stories all different walks of life and we're all in this uh, together in, in a way so um yeah i i, I try to give back as much as I can in the community but uh, I think just naturally through being involved in in my own kids sports uh, that kind of organically happens Um, uh, and it's 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 been a a fun experience and one that I probably won't realize how lucky I am until it's over you know (laughs) whenever that is because you can't coach forever obviously but um, to do it in my hometown has been something that's special and be part of that so last one for me when you're not at the soccer field or at your kids soccer field do you watch soccer or do you need a break the women's world cup on now i watch too much soccer that's probably my wife's biggest pet peeve like really you're gonna come home and sit on the couch and watch soccer after you spend you know 90 percent of your day uh breaking down film and all that kind of stuff so yeah i I still love the game uh i watch i'm watching the women's world cup right now i'm watching the the copa america the gold cup you know there's there's actually a ton of soccer on right now and there's not a lot of other sports going on to be honest so it's kind of a it's a time of of the year where um, our game is can shine a little bit you know what I mean because NFL's kind of is is just getting going in August NBA just wrapped up NHL wrapped up so it is kind of uh, an important time to grow the game and I think everybody has a responsibility to continue to to grow soccer in this country as you guys are doing right now you don't even realize that you're doing it but it's it's a big help Um, and the more that we can get in the mainstream and and be out there I, I think that it'll only push things even further to that ultimate goal which is somehow win a world cup 
up. <laughs> you, you mentioned watching the World Cup. Um, the skill of the U.S. women's yeah. team is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and I debated last week whether the blowback that they got for the goals that they scored in the first game yeah, yeah, yeah. was warranted to me if you're in a, a goal count. How do you balance that as a coach? Yeah, because your players want to celebrate, yeah. but at the same time, you want them to maintain a level of sportsmanship. Is that challenging for you? For sure. And, and listen, I think... I think sportsmanship is, is is learned. I think more at the younger ages, but when you get to the the very top, uh, every one of these girls and women have worked incredibly hard to get where they're at, and it's not. Uh, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's more of a celebration of I've made it this far. Whether I'm think of think of the coach's situation she's subbing a girl into a game that's already eight or nine zero but that girl's dream was to play in that game so they're going to have the emotion and this and then the desire to to have that moment where i finally made it here i'm not going to i'm not going to go easy i don't care what the opponent is i'm going to go 100 percent. so it's a touchy one I, I get both sides a little bit but i, I think in in a world cup all bets are off, and, and when goal differential can affect things, as you saw even yesterday with um, with the Australian team scoring a, what seems like a meaningless goal to go up 4-1, that, that puts them through rather than out of a competition. So it, it, it's important to uh, – 13 is a lot. I get that, you know. But at the same time, I, I think at that level, at that elite of a level um, – it's the other team's job to stop them, you know, and that, that sounds cruel and might not be liked by some people. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's it's a, it's a tough one. That's like a moral dilemma. <laughs> we often talk about uh, how how athletes and teams impact their communities in a positive way. Yeah, uh, you've been a member of this community long before you were a soccer player. Yeah. And so, what is it that the union likes to do, and how do you encourage your players to be involved in community activities? Activities and benefiting the community. I think it starts with just number one. It's just the, the easiest thing: be a good person, <laughs> and, and, and and you know, get to know people and ask questions. You know, even as easy as uh, the people here uh, in Chester that work in the stadium. You know, uh, don't just walk by them. You know, talk to them. They, they have great stories. I've, I've become very close with uh, uh, Fuzz, who does our our food prep upstairs. He's incredible. He's one of the best people we 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 have at the club. He's one of the hardest workers and, and getting to know him. And you talk to any of our players right now, Fuzz is the most popular guy in the whole building, you know? Well, we may have to interview him, but yeah, how, oh, how did he get is, the name Fuzz? If you get, him, if you get Fuzz talking, <laughs> he can talk. So that would be a long interview. But no, he's he's a guy that um, is part of the team. I, I literally, we took him to the Open Cup final last year because he's that special around the guys. He makes everyone smile. Uh, the energy that he brings every day uh, and the work ethic that he brings, he's a special part of the team. Uh, so, um, you know, when you see him every day, he's the first face I see in the morning because he's up super early and I'm usually the first guy in here. And, and you know, the connection that we've had over the years is something that's special. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, it's 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 ask questions, get to know people. Uh, again, we're all part of a team uh, in this community here in Chester has really embraced us. Um, and, and again, it's it's good to kind of grow together. Well, thank you very much yeah. for uh, spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And good luck in the second half. Thanks so much for having me. This was excellent. So, Jeff, if I check that Apple Watch of yours, is it going to say you went 8 to 10 miles today? No, but here's my plan. If I, if I do one of those competitions again, I'm going to ask Bedoya if he can wear my watch during the game. <laughs> you think that the union will let that fly? Yeah, why not? That, that'll happen. Uh-huh. Uh, fascinating to, to talk to the coach about everything from the women's national team to his own players to his own success and journey 
to uh, how they track players and analytics. I, I mean, down to five minutes in a game to be able to know exactly how much your player has spent as a coach. Not ju- not just in distance, but also monitoring heart rates and stuff. So so you know when a player is tired probably before the player realizes because they're on adrenal- adrenaline. So yeah. Ten times fast. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, why don't we hit the break so you can tell us where you and your dog are going to be this weekend. And then when we come back, we'll talk some NBA draft with Keith Pompey and he can explain to me what exactly the Sixers did last night. All right. And, so, and for people that are listening, Jason's got a little dog bark there. So if he thinks that I'm doing a bad job with the read, he's going to give we're, me a hard time. We're this, ready. This is his new thing. Go for it. Yeah, your new toy. For our family, our pets are our four-legged children. We're always there for the best, uh, looking for the best for our toller chase. You're not going to do the bark? He was trying to let you oh, read and not interrupt right. you. That's why we're so excited that Heart and Paw is opening their first pet care center right in our backyard in King of Prussia. Heart and Paw is reimagining pet care from the ground up and bringing the best of all the things you need for the healthiest pets into one elevated location. Plus, their services are easily accessible through their app and website. So it's not just a great experience for my dog, but also convenient for me. Care, stay, play, style, Heart and Paw is your partner in pet parenthood. They're hosting a launch party this Saturday, tomorrow, June 22nd from 9 to 4, and two and four-legged friends are invited. Chase and I will definitely be there. You can call Heart and Paw today at 484-965-3535. Again, that's 484-965-3535. Or learn more at www.heartandpaw.com. Well done, Jeff. Thank you. Nicely done. Just Uh, so people know, that's not my dog. My dog has a much more shrill bark. Yeah, we're trying not to chase people out of their cars. Yes. So while Brett looks to get Keith on the line, can we... Talk a little bit about what hats. happened last night. No, okay. I don't want to talk hats. All I, right, fine. I mean, I need Keith to explain to me what exactly the Sixers are doing right now because <laughs> I'm confused and yeah. Sixers Twitter is very confused yeah, as well. Yeah, to be fair, you're always confused, though. I am always right. confused, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that, you know, some of us can go through life confused. That's mm-hmm. all right. We both do. Um, Sixers Twitter did not expect them to trade a bunch of draft picks. It didn't seem like Sixers Twitter didn't expect them to take a defensive player. Well, so here, here's my question. Is, Sam Hinkie compiled all of these second-round picks over a period of time, and then the Sixers said, give us some cash and you can have all our second-round picks. All right, well, Keith Pompey, are you there right now? Yes, I am. Keith, I need you to explain to me um, what the Sixers did last night, <laughs> and it was it good? <laughs> wow, I mean... Uh, Loaded man. question, huh? Well, I mean, here, here's the deal. Like, so they they can't get Cam John- Cam Johnson, and you know the other guy that they had identified was you know uh, uh, Matisse Thybulle, and you know so when they got him, you you say to yourself, okay, this is a guy who they really like. He helps with the perimeter defense. But then there were some guys who I felt like do, because of they made some trades, you know, that they let go. And initially, you know, I was always under the belief that it would be better for the Sixers not to trade up for anyone. Just because I felt like, you know, two is better than one. Like a lot of these guys are equal, you know, like these late first rounders, early second round guys. They're all equal to me in, in regards to talent. Some may be a little bit better, 
but I always felt like having two of them would be a whole lot better than one. Mm -hmm. And then when they go ahead and they trade, they traded 33 and they traded 34. To me, I was just a little, you know, like, wow, I just couldn't believe that. Now they said they have a plan. Um, they say like it's going to help them with free agency, but it just seems to me like they just like selling draft picks. I mean, you know, the owner they, they get like each year you get up to five million dollars to sell a draft pick, and the, and the money goes it doesn't go to the cap space; it goes to the ownership group. They could do whatever they want with it, and um, it just seems like to me that they like their money. They like getting paid, and they're going to continue to do it. This was a, at least the third year that they've done it. And if you notice, it just seems like whenever they make a trade, they always make a trade for future second-round draft picks. And you rest assured that when that year comes, they're going to sell one of those draft picks and get $2 million off of it. So to me, that's just my impression of the whole thing. But but don't they need a bench? I mean, <laughs> no. We're, we're, let, let's assume, let's play positive and assume that the Sixers sign Tobias and sign Jimmy Butler. And you can tell us if we're wrong about that. But uh, let's assume they do. That's four players that they have. Where's the rest of the team coming from? If you're, I understand Elton says we don't need a bunch of projects, but... You do need to build for the future, and quite frankly, you need to have something on the bench now. Yeah, and when you look at it, so, okay, so you have, this is what they're saying. So you have Zaire Smith. You know, they're looking at him as a a, a bench player. Their hope is that he can be in the rotation. Excuse me. Then you have the guy, Shake Milton, who you guys are familiar with. Their hope is that he could be in a rotation. And they also hope that Jonah Bolden is in the rotation. So if you bring back all five guys, right, mm-hmm. right then and there, that's eight guys that they think that they can have, or at least who can battle, you know, for that rotation. Now, there may be some people who think that, you know, these guys might not quite be ready for that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're going into their second year. One guy was on a two-way contract. The other guy was sick for most of the year, talking about Zaire and and um, and Shake was on a two-way. But the Sixers are basically banking on them, and they're banking on it. Maybe they can get someone in free agency. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it, it was wild the way the moves were, and, and you know, they, they freed up cap space in one. They got paid in another one. But, you know, they must – they have faith in these guys. And, and they also think that, you know, that the people they had before, you know, are, are going to be worth it or they can bring in a free agent. It was like just maybe they have assurance they could get someone. It was just amazing for me to see them actually draft two shooters and trade them both away for the, the guy who, you know, say what you want about Zaire Smith. But the, the thing on him is he's a defensive guy who's got to get better at shooting. It just seems like they took the same style player. And that was surprising to me with what they got. And and at the same time, can you know tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this team's attitude is but for Joel Embiid getting sick, they'd have been winning the championship because of what happened with Toronto. Like that seems to be their approach. 
Yeah, that's true. And and like it's funny, I was talking to um one of their executives one day and we he said, How do you feel about that? You know, I asked him, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, how do you feel about Toronto making it to the finals? And does it make you feel like, you know, you guys are you like saying to yourself, Man, wow, we're so close or wow, we were you know what I mean, like are you excited or are you a little upset? And he said he was a little excited. And yet, then he turned around and asked me, how did I feel about it? And I said, to be honest with you, I said, it could be a blessing and it could be a curse. It could be a blessing or whatever or something happy for you guys to think that, you know what, you know, we're we're there. You know, we're we're there. Like, maybe we can, you know, tweak some things and, and get, get a little better. But we are there if we bring everyone back. And I said, the curse part is, you know, you have a guy in Joel Embiid whose conditioning is subpar at best. Um, you have a guy in Ben Simmons who doesn't work on his jumper. And when they see that, they'll say to themselves, man, we were so close. I don't have to watch my diet. We were so close. I don't have to work on my game. You know, if it wasn't for four bounces, we would have won. You know, but in reality is if it wasn't for four bounces, the game would have been decided in overtime, and we don't know how it would have ended. What about so, the, the people who don't think ahead. they were that close? Like, I happen to think that they were a flawed team all season, and the fact that they got to where they did doesn't show how good they were. They they could have been better than that, and it, it just doesn't seem like that's the direction the team's going in terms of the pieces that are, they're putting together in the construction of it. Uh, maybe I'm just misinterpreting yeah. it. I agree with you, and and I think that like again, like the, the so close could be is a false reality. Like the the one thing is they do need to work on some things. Now, the one thing that I will say about this draft is, you know, the one guy that they got from um, the second round pick, the, the kid out of Iowa State. I'm sorry, I can't really pronounce his name, so I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, I'm not even so going to try on that one. <laughs> yeah, the kid from Iowa State. So. You know, a lot of people are saying that he is not a second-round pick. Like, he's basically an undrafted free agent. He should be. But they also say that he can shoot the heck out of the ball, right? So that's the thing that, you know, we'll we'll see. Now, the thing about uh, Martiz is that, you know, he's a guy who his strength was the Sixers' biggest weakness last year. I mean, I know we all talk about they need a shooter, and I and, and I do think Cam Johnson would have been, a, you know, is the best fit for him. But with that being said, it just seems like their perimeter defense was horrible, and it was horrible in big games. You know, they never closed out. Even on that shot that Kawhi made to win it, you know, it just seems like Ben Simmons may have gave, given up, and Joel Embiid was no match for him. It's just that they need someone to make a stop in the perimeter or make it life hard for people, and they don't have it. Well, I, so I will say that they fulfilled a need in that area. You know what I mean? So they did address a weakness. They just didn't address the thing of where they said, we need shooters. That's what they said, and they didn't get that in the first round. Yeah, but Keith, the, the problem with that is, is, as Jason said, he's very much like Zaire, my bigger problem with it is is they've now taken another project. They've taken a guy who you might be able to put him out this year for defensive stops, 
but he's not a he's not a two way player. He's not he's not a guy that you can put out there and keep him in the game. You're gonna have to keep using timeouts in a close game because he's not a guy he's not a strong finisher from from everything that I've read and and he's not a shooter yet. So if if Elton Brand's plan, as he said, is is to get pieces to win now, how does this piece help them win now as opposed to two or three years from now? Great question, and I don't think it really – now, it, it fulfills a, a defensive type of um, – how should I say? Um, it, you know, it, it, it erases one weakness, but here's the point. So this is the one thing this is this this is the one thing this is the one thing that um that you gotta take into account. So after the kid got drafted, he came out and said, Wow, I'll give basically I'm paraphrasing, but he said I'll give the Sixers credit for for honoring what they said they were gonna do. Right? So they they gave this guy a promise that if he was around, they were going to draft him, right? Yeah. They promised him that. Now, there were certain teams that wanted to draft him. There were certain teams that wanted to work him out. And they kept saying no. The agent and the kid, like, they just wouldn't work out for other people. Did that so backfire on the sixth? Like, did, huh? did did that backfire on the Sixers though, having to give up I mean, thirty three to get I mean, it? it could. I, mean, I, I think they like. I mean, I think they like him, but I, I think that you know it was one of those things where maybe they didn't think he was going to be available at that point. But then they saw him sliding. Gotcha. And yeah, but it, so you know, and I don't know. And so if you're a thing, it comes to a point. I mean, yeah, that stuff. It, it could backfire, but it comes to a point where you say, "Look, man." I better hurry up and get this guy. Now, again, I'm not saying that's how it went down, but it could have went down that way because your word is your word. And let's face it, this is a player's league. The agents run the league. And if you if if, if you know if you told this kid you were going to draft him, then you got to draft him. And the thing about it is, you know, if when you go up and you say you want to move up, and teams know that you have a certain person in mind, especially the Boston Celtics, they're going to make you pay. Now, when they got rid of number 34, and I understand they saved um, a million dollars or, no, that was 42 off the cap or whatever. You know, I, you know, I don't understand. But me personally, like you said, that's when you needed to address a need. But giving up number 33 – and 24 to move up four spots. That's a lot, man. It just seemed like a lot. a lot. Well, look, yeah, here's, here's the, at least from what I've heard from people walking around today, is that people feel that the Celtics are getting one over on the Sixers. Again. <laughs> Again, whether it's true or whether it's not. So I want, I want you to follow me just for a second with the math and tell me if I'm missing something here. So Markel, the Sixers had the number three pick, Two first-round picks. They traded that for Markel Fultz. So the Sixers got Fultz. The Celtics got Tatum and two picks. The Sixers then trade Fultz to Orlando for Jonathan Simmons, a 2020 protected pick and a second-rounder this year. And then they trade Simmons for a second-round pick 
and a, for, and a second round pick for cash. I, am I correct in, in this math and saying that essentially for what we had a couple years ago, which w- could have been Jason Tatum and two first round pick, we got cash? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, and then gave of, up I an mean, like, extra pick this year. I mean, you know, it was funny because when when the draft when when they made that move, I was thinking to myself like, "Wow, you know what I mean?" Like, wow. you must have known that your Twitter feed was going to blow up as soon as that pick was made. Separate from the the basketball reality of whether it was a good pick or not. The fact that they made a deal with the Celtics again and gave up more picks to them to get a guy that the team... It seems like the team sets themselves up for this. You know, Last year they said they were going star hunting and didn't get any stars until midseason. Now they go into this offseason saying they need shooters, setting themselves up with expectation for the, the fans, and then all of a sudden they draft a guy that isn't a shooter and everybody's disappointed. I just don't understand the way they're doing this. Yeah, it's like they set themselves up. You know, it's, it's like... You know what it is? It's like... You know, they have all these people, like, doing the workouts and saying everything. And then when the draft room comes, when the night of the draft comes, like, a, a stranger just walks in the room and says, shut up, sit down, I'm doing this. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it just seems like. Because, you know, everything that they did didn't, like, go, you know, it didn't. it, it wasn't with how they lead, led up and said things. Now, the one thing is, you know, they made this guy a promise. They said if he was available – they were going to draft him. They realized that he was probably going to go off the board earlier than than that. Now, after that, they decided that, you know, like some of their options was going to be Nazir Little and, and uh, Kevin Porter Jr. The problem with those guys, they're nice, but they both have like, you know, like something like character flaws or, or something like that. So, you know, and they're young. And they didn't even start in college. I mean, they were McDonald's guys, but they didn't start for their team. So, you know, you look at that, and then you look at this guy who who clicks like two of your boxes. You know, he's a good defender. He he's a senior. You wanted the older guy, so you take him. But the thing is, one of the other guys who they were high on was 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 uh, Carson Edwards. So not only did you make a trade to the Celtics, but the second round pick that you used to make that trade, they turn around and draft Carson Edwards. <laughs> you so can't make it up. If, but didn't he? Yeah, didn't so Edwards have his own warts? Say it again. But didn't Edwards have his own warts though? That weren't there issues with Edwards when it he was, was at Purdue? Some, but like you know, it was like you know. I mean, I think a, a thing with him is he was. You know, more of a like a ball hog. He had a chip. I yeah, mean, that would go over stuff, well here. It, it, well, it would go over well, but you know, the the thing is, it's like he was a smaller guard, but at least he was. You know, he's instant offense. Yeah, I'll take somebody you know, that can shoot at this point. <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, it's like for a second round pick, like for number for number thirty three, he would have been a steal. Like you know, he is a steal for Boston. You know, like Boston, he could come in. You know, be the backup guard and come in and just get buckets, have that role, and the people in, you know, in, in, in the TD Garden are going to love them. Great, They're so I, like, oh. I can get frustrated the next couple of years watching Jason Tatum and Carson Edwards no, play no, for the no. Celtics. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're, before we let Keith go, now that the sky has fallen a little bit, we're going to get a little Pompeii prognostication. Give, a, give us, like, one piece of what do we have to look forward to 
as we you know we have the free agent uh period opening up in a week and a half uh tell us what to expect man look it, it, expect the unexpected if it's going to be anything like this draft. <laughs> <But expect, laughs> Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, right? We're going to get him. Nah, nah, bro. <laughs> nah, uh-uh. Nah, he, I, he's saying the Sixers because he wants uh, the the Clippers to give him part ownership in the team. <laughs> like, I don't know. But, but nah. But, look, here's the one thing that I will say. Like, I'm just going to say it's like I'm big on character and, and, and mature and, and stuff like that. And when I was like after the draft, you know, and the meet at the host hotel, I hop on the ele- elevator and Carson, uh, not Carson Edwards, um, um, uh, Matisse Seibel was getting ready to hop on the elevator as well. And I introduced myself to him and we chatted, you know, while we were going up to our floors. And um, I'm just telling you, like, first impression means a lot to me. And, you know, you can, you know, you can sense something. And I think that people are going to like him. And the one thing that I will say about him as well is by talking to people around the league, like typically, like if you ask them about Zaire Smith's shot, when he was there, like, nah, he can't shoot the ball, right? They would say that. Mm-hmm. And you ask them about this guy's shot, they like, look, he can shoot. He just doesn't do it enough. He needs to get in the gym. He needs to be more, you know, put more repetitions in. And he's going to be fine. You know, like no one like basically said, you know, he, he he just his shot was broken. They just said he needs to work on it. And you know what I mean? So I think that this guy is going to be okay, you know. Um, but as far as free agency, you know, I do expect um, Tobias Harris to come back. You know, Jimmy Butler, I'm not 100% sure. And the one thing that we need to know is as guys begin to – like Al Horford's of the world and people like that begin to begin to come out and say, "Hey, I'm gonna be a free agent." You know, my question is, are are the Sixers if they feel as if that, you know, I can go in a different direction, are they going to want to bring like all three of them together or two of the three? Or are they just, and what I mean by that is Tobias, Jimmy, JJ, or are they going to feel like I'll bring one of them back and then I can possibly you know, like get multiple players, you know, for the price of what it would take to give, you know, Jimmy or Tobias a max or, or the same thing with JJ, giving them 12 million. I could get two guys for six. So, you know, that's the thing that I think we all need to um, be aware of. All right. Well, uh, enjoy the next week and a half. I assume that you have some extra batteries for your phone because um, I assume it'll be blowing up and uh, you can catch. Pompey, Keith Pompey at Pompey and Sixers and the Philly Inquirer. Thanks so much, Keith. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, y'all. Take care. Talk to you later, man. Have a good weekend. Jeff, I know Keith explained it. I don't feel better about what they did. I, I, don't. F- I feel better about Thibel because um, he knows his basketball. and I, I mean, Keith does. And I, and, I, and I think that we should give him a chance. The problem is I don't understand where the depth is going to come from. I, they don't have that much money that they can sign a bunch of mid-level exception guys. The one thing I, I, I am curious about that I haven't at least heard is, is Joel Embiid going out and helping recruit guys or not? I He's mean, playing tennis right now. 
Well, no, that was last week, wasn't it? I don't, is I don't he still know playing? He, I don't know. Is what he he's in doing. a tournament now? I don't know. I haven't is seen he playing doubles. I haven't seen what he's recruiting. I would assume it depends on what happens with Jimmy Butler. Uh, whether actually, money. by the way, so if if somebody that's seven foot two plays doubles tennis, do you really need a partner? Oh, he's got you a good pretty much cover the whole court, right? Wanted to remind the listeners: if you're in the car, if you're listening in your house, you can always call in. We're almost at the end of the show today. Eight 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 seven two eight nine nine four one. Don't like one of our takes. Take us up on it. Uh, you can come at us on Twitter, too. That's fine. But uh, come and tell us why. Let us know uh, what's up and, and what you don't like. Jeff, uh, we'll leave the Sixers there. Uh-huh. I do want to I, I want to get to baseball. We're not going to have time. Yeah. I just want to say the amount. Something tells me it won't improve next week. So no. You'll, we'll have plenty of time. The amount that the it. New Orleans Pelicans got for Anthony Davis is staggering to me. David Griffin has done a very good job in a very short time. Frame. They had no leverage, and they got Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, the number 8 from Atlanta, the number 17 from Atlanta, the number 35 from Atlanta, Cleveland's 2020 protected, LA's 2021 if it's in the top 8, LA's 2022 unprotected if it doesn't, the right to a pick swap in 2023. They also got good The Lakers' picks 2024 pick or the 2025 okay, we get pick. The, we get the idea. That's an insane amount yeah. for no leverage. The guy well, said he wanted out. Well, you, you know what happened? Look, you know my day job. It's always better to negotiate with somebody when they don't know what they're doing. Um, David Griffin had the benefit of negotiating with a guy who apparently didn't know what he was doing. He took Rob Palenka to the cleaners, who exactly. didn't even do the deal right. And now, instead of having... Yeah, they're begging people to do the deals differently so that they can get another max player. Instead of having $32 million to sign another max player, they're only going to have $27 million because they yeah. didn't do the signing date on July 30th instead of July 6th for the trade. And, and let me tell you, when, when you get a reputation as a guy who can't negotiate, right, everybody starts to take advantage of you. And, and he, he has now put the Lakers at such a disadvantage going into free agency and future negotiations. It's just baffling that they are letting him run this team now. It is kind of staggering. Anything else from the draft that got you? Bowl Bowl dropping to, to 44. He dropped a lot. I thought Memphis yeah. had a good draft. I thought the Hawks had a good draft. I, I'll tell you, look. It, you the know, Sixers people, freed up cap space. No, pe- or the pe- Celtics freed up cap space. People kind of laugh when these guys are sitting there and, and their name doesn't get called and they drop. I, I There's something sad. I always feel for these guys. They're out there. They're with their families, and they're expecting something, and then they just drop. And, and I hate when they just keep focusing on the guys. Just just let them be. By the way, I'm sorry. You didn't get to ask Keith about the hats. We'll let it go. I know you really wanted to go uh, there. Something tells me they won't fix that problem, too, either. No, they're not going to fix By the way, don't you think that they need to make free agency start at the same time as the draft? This makes no sense. So you you should be able to figure out your team all at once. It shouldn't be figuring out your team I don't think the teams want pieces. that, though. Why not? Why would you not want to know what you're going to be able to get? Well, because I think you know what your needs are in free agency after you draft draft the players. Well, think about this. The way that it is set up now, not only is this hat thing an issue, the bigger issue with it is is that the guys that have been traded cannot play in the summer. That's the last thought. Thanks so much for joining us. Join us next Friday night and every Friday night. We'll help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. Bye-bye.